You sit in church week after week, embracing the truth of God's Word. You believe the gospel and claim Jesus Christ as your Lord. Yet you continue to struggle with pornography. You feel like a hypocrite, returning to the sin you hate that mocks the God you love. You desperately wonder, is lasting freedom even possible? Yes, you can overcome pornography, but not alone. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Only by repeatedly running from sin to Christ with other believers can you hope to enjoy lasting freedom. You can live with purity and integrity. Take courage, seek accountability, and do whatever is necessary. Get equipped at accountabletoyou.com. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Baltic. It's just uh, me, Pastor Toby's. Where's the chair? There's the chair, Neil. Just by himself. Just, just There you go. Show the chair all by himself. Pastor Toby is gone. Chuck Knox had to go uh, um, take care of some family business in Minnesota. And uh, so it's just me all by myself. And, and of course, I'm very grateful to have uh, Pastor Wilson on the show. Thank you. And uh, Jared Moore will be coming on the show uh, also. We're going to have a great discussion kind of around uh, a follow-up of a bunch of uh, questions I have uh, and a bunch of kind of follow-up I've been thinking about regarding kind of the revoice stuff over the years and then kind of where those conversations have morphed. And both Jared and Pastor Doug have contributed greatly um, to that discussion and uh, in, in all this. But first, I have an ad to read for you today. Today's culture shifts like sand, but New St. Andrews College is established on Christ, the immovable rock. The college is a premier institution and forges evangelical leaders who don't fear or hate the world. Guided by God's word, equipped with the genius of classical liberal arts and God-honoring wisdom, with a faculty dedicated to academic rigor and to God's kingdom, New St. Andrews College offers an education that frees people. Logic and language hard to come by these days, books and godly professors, New St. Andrews College provides time-tested resources that can equip your student for any vocation. To find out more, visit newstandrews.com, or .edu, excuse me, newstandrews.edu. Uh, so I already kind of mentioned it, but I have uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, pastor of Christ Church here in Moscow, and then he also blogs at blogandmayblog.com. Doug Wills. DougWills.com yeah. is what it is. Blog and May Blog. Thank you for coming on the show again. Yeah, thank you. And then I have uh, Jared, Jared Moore. He's the author of The Lust of the Flesh. This is a, a book that just recently was published, Thinking Biblically About Sexual Orientation, Attraction, and Temptation. And he's the co-author of Pop Culture Parent, Helping Kids Engage Their World for Christ, as long as they're baptized, I would assume, Jared. And is now running for president of Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Jared, why don't you, before we get into things here, why don't you just tell us real quick um, about your run for Southern Baptist, for president for Southern Baptist Convention, please. Sure. Uh, concerning uh, being SBC president, um, the two main jobs is to moderate the meeting, and then you appoint the committee that chooses the committee that chooses all the trustees at SBC entities. And so my hope is to represent. Um, Southern Baptists from smaller churches, um, no, over 90% of the SBC is made up of churches like my church, um, and, and so I hope to encourage uh, more folks to run, and and also for us to be a confessional um, confessional group of churches, uh, and so 
to, you know, I'm not ashamed of the Word of God. I'm not ashamed of our confession. Um, and, and I think that everyone who associates with the SBC should affirm our confession, and at mm-hmm. the very least. And so I, I hope to emphasize confessional faithfulness, um, biblical faithfulness. And, um, you know, while I'm here, um, I'm hoping, actually, that, uh, do y'all know Michael Clary? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that Michael Clary will run for first VP. And so, uh, so I'm optimistic, brother. I think that uh, I think that Indianapolis is going to be good for the SBC, and I think her best days are ahead of us. Yeah. And and is there any link or email address how people can, how SBC people can connect with you on this? Uh, the best way to connect with me is just on uh, Twitter or X, okay. whichever whichever you call it. Uh, Jared H. Moore, J A R E D H M O O R E. And I'm actually running. Um, you know, uh, there's a a group called Credo Alliance, um, where we're uniting around biblical, confessional, Baptist theology, and um, you know I'm running with that group, and okay. so um, you know folks can check out Credo Alliance as well. Okay, is that CredoAlliance.com? Yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, what what caught my attention was uh, man is maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, something like that. You tweeted out. Kind of a, a critique, and I know you and Doug have had similar conversations before on other shows, but you um, you retweeted a video of Doug um, uh, talking about sexuality, temptation, and so forth, and uh, and then you kind of retweeted a little criticism of it, and I, I was like, well, I think it's good to have this conversation again and again, especially given kind of the, the traction that the LGBT um, world has in, in the church, the traction that, you know, Revoice has had at least in the reform circles and, and of course in the Baptist circles. And so I thought this would be a great way to kind of get back into this conversation. So I want to play that video and then Jared, I'd love for you to kind of just respond and kind of um, uh, maybe define or get at, you know, uh, what was maybe kind of your problem with some of Doug's comments in, in this video. So go ahead and roll the clip, Neil. There is an important distinction to be made between the word sin and the phrase a sin. Say that a Christian with homosexual vulnerability sees a pop-up ad that would take him to a homosexual porn site, and the moment it hits him, it looks good to him. The reason it looks good to him is because of the particular kink in his corruption of nature, which is sin. But if he immediately rejects the invitation within a second and walks away from it, then he has navigated the situation correctly without being guilty of a sin. He has gone through a temptation, but is not guilty of a sin. His corruption of nature is sin, but we do not have to confess our corruption of nature the same way we confess a particular sin. Uh, Go ahead, Jared. Just kind of maybe get at what what you had a problem with in this in this tweet sure Uh, my concern with the video is that the particular individual that he references that uh, pastor wilson references sees a uh, homosexual pornographic ad and in his heart it seems good to him and you know according to the westminster standards that seems to be the beginning of the lust of the flesh, a, a motion of original sin. It's a it's something that wasn't there before, and then it comes forth. And so what I would say, and what I believe the our confessional tradition, the Reformed tradition would argue, is that you sinned in your heart, even though you didn't mindfully sinned, sin with your, um, you know, mindful choosing Mm -hmm. 
you still chose in your heart. I mean, that's the reason why you reject it. And I do believe it is a sin. It's not just temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, because it it had a beginning. Yeah. Right. And and so that was that's my concern. Um, and so I I see uh, Pastor Wilson. Um, I know he rejects revoice, and I'm thankful for that. But I don't think he's on board totally with the Reformed tradition on the doctrine of concupiscence mm-hmm. and motions of original sin. Mm-hmm. What would um, uh, just thinking about what would you see the difference between temptation and and being actually being tempted but not falling into sin? Does does that question make sense? Sure. So internal temptation is both internal the lust of the flesh and sin to act on it like it's it's both it's both an internal inclination towards sin mm-hmm. which is sin and also an in, an internal temptation this is what James 1 says 13 through 15 um this is what Paul says when he says that um you know he has this law in Romans 7 Mm-hmm. Um, this law of sin that he serves with his flesh, but in the spirit, um, he doesn't serve it. And so um, it's both internal temptation is internal temptation is both internal sin and temptation to act on um, the internal inclination. Let me let me maybe clarify my my question, then I'll I'll let Doug respond to you sure. here. Um, can you, you know, temptation? Um, you can be tempted and not sin. Um, you know, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he didn't sin. Um, I, I guess that's the dis- the distinction I was trying to ask about is okay. the, the difference between like you know actually being tempted, whatever that tug, whatever that you know leaning or whatever that uh, tempting happens in your life and not fall into sin. Uh, what's that distinction there? Does that am I making sense in that question? Sure, that's a that's a great question. Um, so Jesus was tempted from without. Um, we are tempted from within, and so the example that Pastor Wilson uses is a Christian who is tempted by gay porn. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus, on the other hand, was tempted by objectively good things, holy things, food, um, to be the King of Kings. Um, to not drink his father's wrath, um, you know all the all the things that Jesus was supposed to desire, he desired them from his father, and he did not desire them from the evil one. And so, you if you just think about the uh, Jesus's temptation, it is being offered something good through an evil means. If you reject the evil means a hundred percent, then you've been tempted like Jesus. But gay porn is not inherently good, and an internal pull towards something inherently evil is itself sin. So it's more than just temptation. And so the the difference is an internal pull towards something evil versus an external pull towards something good that is offered through an evil means. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That's helpful. Doug, you want to respond from here? Sure. There are a number of things, and one of the things I'm driving for is to get to the point where I think we can agree, because I think there is not a fundamental disagreement here. Okay. So let me frame it. 
all of us are entailed in Adam's rebellion. So we are covenantally sinful mm-hmm. because when Adam reached for the fruit and ate the fruit, we did also. We, so we're entailed in Adam's sin. And basically that's original sin. Uh, yeah, that, I understand and that. And total is, depravity. That's, kind of it, that's original okay. sin, our participation in what Adam did. All of us, consequently, have a corruption of nature, which is sinful all the time, mm-hmm. no matter what we do. Right? Mm-hmm. On my good days and on my bad days, mm-hmm. my, I've got a corruption in my nature, which, as Westminster Confession, Chapter 6 says, is truly sin. Okay. Okay? Now, that original sin and the corruption of nature, the only way that that can be addressed is by means of justification, mm-hmm. the imputed righteousness of Christ. Okay, now, because Christ's righteousness is imputed to me, that deals with original sin and that, that covers, that deals with my, the corruption of my nature. When, what I'm talking about in the video clip is when I am tempted, when anybody is tempted, when this homosexual guy is tempted, he's, te- he's being tempted to, to commit a particular discreet act that would be a sin. Now, there is a moment where it goes from temptation into sin, right? There's a, there's a time lapse there, there's a, and I put it under a second, right? If, you dally, if he dallies with it for 30 yeah. minutes, he's in, he's in sin. He's in sin for 29 of them at least, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, no, more than tw- almost, thir- almost 30. Yeah. So it's, I think it's got to be an instantaneous, you return the serve, you're playing tennis, and you return the serve uh-huh. just immediately. Okay, now uh, what Jared is talking about when he talks about uh, Jesus being tempted by inherently good things, and that the temptation to homosexual behavior is inherently kinked or twisted. Yep. I, I agree with that. It is inherently kinked or twisted. But we can get at this uh, problem another way. Let's say a heterosexual man is tempted by a woman, an attractive woman, mm-hmm. not his wife. She's single. He's married. He, same scenario, uh-huh. right? And he says, "Oh, look at her!" And then within a second, he, re, you know, he rejects it. Uh-huh. He says, "No, not my wife. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to do that." Uh, so far, so good. He, the corruption of his nature, made him want to be with a woman, not his wife, and made that attractive to him. And he, in with regard to his sanctification, did what he was supposed to do. He rejected the temptation right away. Now, but it might be lawful five years down the road after this guy's wife has died in a car wreck. Uh-huh. It might be lawful for that man to be with that woman, mm-hmm. right? That, there are circumstances under which it would be lawful and blessed by God, uh-huh. just as it would be there are circumstances under which uh, Christ could eat bread, mm-hmm. or you know, right. he he made bread miraculously out of a little bit of bread, mm-hmm. the feeding of the five thousand. If he had done it out of made um, stones into bread under different circumstances, right. it wouldn't have been wouldn't mm-hmm. have been sin. And that's also to draw a clear distinction between gay porn, which is never lawful. Gay porn is never lawful. Yeah, right. right. But you can. There's a transition, an instantaneous transition between. Temptation and sin, even where there are circumstances under which that behavior could be lawful. Mm-hmm. That's not now. Okay. So when you're in the wilderness with the devil and the devil saying, if you are the son of God, when God has just told him, 
from heaven at his baptism. You are the son of God. You're my beloved son. Mm-hmm. The devil comes in and frames it. If you're the son of God, right? So right. It, it, it's not bad for him to be hungry. It's not bad for him to want to have the kingdom. Right. What is bad is the, the tug that he feels, that he's hungry. Uh-huh. When the devil does this, he's hungry. Uh-huh. Um, and to give way to that for an instant would be sin in that circumstance. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, uh, I got a couple questions here, Jared, and then I'll let you let you in here. But um, what are you trying to accomplish by by trying to define that one second rule or the the, the half a second rule that you're are, are you are you trying to just illustrate that there is a real temptation, a real tug there, and no sin happens? Correct. I want to give encouragement to Christians mm-hmm. who are resolute in fighting all sin uh-huh. and and I don't want to lock them up in a prison of despair uh-huh. because for the way I believe if if I'm counseling a some a person with homosexual temptation uh-huh. I want him to know that he could resist those temptations and do so from a position of victorious living uh-huh. and not feel like every time he's tempted uh-huh. he's automatically by definition in sin in sin. So no matter what, that's helpful. Um, uh, one more follow up question, Jared, and I'll let, let you in. Um, so is it kind of um, I'm walking down the street with my wife, and there's a just a noticeably attractive, beautiful woman walking past us, and it's it's not the fact that I noticed; it's the fact that my neck started turning with her walking by. That's the sin. Yes, there's nothing wrong with them. You know, she's right. attractive, and then going on. There's nothing wrong with having eyes in your head. All right. There's nothing wrong with saying right. Um, Oh, did you? Your wife asked you. Oh, did you meet that that new l- l- woman at church? The, she's real attractive, and uh-huh. you say, "Oh, I know who you're talking about." How, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> it's, how a dare you? it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah, you, you can know that a woman is attractive, but if you're right. attracted, yeah, then th- that's where uh, I'm. I was interested that Jared uh, quoted James one because I think it gives us this distinction. Uh, verse fourteen. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Mm-hmm. There's the desire there. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's there is you a, have a desire. There's a desire uh, prior to the sin. Uh huh. Right? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now that desire, if it's kinked like homosexual desire is, uh-huh. that is sinful, truly and properly sinful, as Westminster Confession six tells us uh-huh. it's truly and properly sin but it's it's not the sin that you commit that requires you to change your behavior in your sanctification okay. it's what you you just need to thank god for his justifying grace uh-huh. um jared uh, i'm i know there's probably a number of issues um that came up um what are, what are your thinking here what are your response here um my first question is is the christian who noticed the gay porn um, whose heart desired the gay porn? Uh, Pastor Wilson, whose heart, for under a second, desired the gay porn? Uh, his did. Yeah. But that's not sin. That's what you're saying. That's not a sin. It's not a sin. It's sinful. How, how could it not be a sin if his heart desired something that is not lawful? It has to be sin, and the amount of time is not... The, and so I understand your desire to help people, but 
you're you're using rhetoric to try to help people rather than sending them running to Christ's righteousness. Your your rhetoric only helps people if it corresponds to Scripture. It's sinful. The, the, that impulse to want to go there is a sinful corruption of nature. It could not happen in an unfallen world. If we were but not- it is, it is a beginning of lust. It is not just, and even in the Greek in James one fourteen, and th- this is and throughout church history, this is how it's been interpreted, and the KJV translates it lust. You're lured and enticed by your own lusts. And well, James one thirteen says that God can't do this. Like it starts with saying this is what God can't do. I believe the which word means there, I believe the word. I'm sorry, there, brother. Go ahead. I believe the word there is thumia. Is that right? I, I don't have it in front of me, brother. I, I can look it up. Okay, yeah. so um, it it can be strong desire. It's um, it's not not in a negative context, though, brother. Like oh, if it's no. a negative context, it's got to be lust. Well, it turns into sin. That's my point. In James one fourteen, it it con- the desire conceives, and then when it, when it's conceived, then it becomes sin. There is the transition I'm talking about is a transition that happens there in James one fourteen and fifteen. You're misunderstanding James one fourteen and fifteen. It's a chiasm. He begins with saying that God can't do this, and then he gives the life cycle of sin. And then he says, only good gifts come from God. Like it, it's this, it, it's a chiasm. It, it's this, God can't do this, you're doing it, only good gifts come from God. Sure. But it says, is the way James, but James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's epithumia. So you're right. Epithumia. Yeah. Okay. And that would be strong, epithumia would be strong desire. Mm-hmm. Each person is enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. That's the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm just simply arguing for a transition. There's a desire that is prior to sin, but it's leading straight into sin. And I'm willing to great, grant that particularly when it comes to, to bent and twisted desire, like the desire for a man to be with another man sexually, that desire is, is itself sinful with regard to the corruption of our nature. Just as a man who wanted to be with three women uh, you know, at, at one time, that would be sinful with regard to the corruption of his nature. But the desire, when it pops up, there is a, a moment in James 1, and also a moment in this guy's life, before it becomes the kind of sin he would have to confess. Now, it he can the this pop-up ad could reveal to him the the fact that he is still you know still has this corrupt nature and he might thank god for justification thank god for the imputed righteousness of jesus christ but he doesn't have to confess his sin the same way he would have to confess his sin if he went to that porn site mm-hmm. if he went to that porn site if he clicked on it mm-hmm. and he went there and he gave way to it then he has to get on his knees and confess a sin uh, or confess mm-hmm. a series of sins. But if he rejects it immediately, uh, all, what he needs to do is do what you just said, uh, turn to the righteousness of Christ. But every, every one of us is in, in that same boat. All of us have this corruption of nature. 
And I can be having a good day in my sanctification. I can be having a bad day in my sanctification. But my justification doesn't go up and down. And it's a good thing because my justification has to deal with my corruption of nature all the time. Jared, let me let me ask you, um, give you a chance to kind of ask sure. a clarifying question here too. Um, uh, so uh, I, I understand that Doug is trying to argue that there's um, a, from James, argue that there's, an initial desire that's that's not defined as giving into temptation or giving or sin, but that leads to sin, which right. seems to be the pattern or the flow of what James is getting at. How do you see that that text there? Do you see it similar, or or, or is there a distinction that you'd like to make that Doug's not making? Well, he's taking a metaphor and he's asking more of the metaphor than James intends. So James is given the life cycle of sin. He, James also says that only when sin matures does it lead to death. But that's not something that Doug would affirm. No, sin always leads to death. He's talking about the life cycle of sin. God can't do this. He starts with God can't do this. God can't tempt. He, he himself tempts no one. And then he says, no, you're tempting yourself. He's wanting them to take responsibility for their sin from the root to the fruit. And so I believe uh, Doug is misunderstanding what James intends here. Um, and th the notion that there is a pre-sin evil desire is not part of the Reformed tradition at all. That's, that's Roman Catholic, modern Roman Catholicism. What is our corruption of nature then? Our corruption of nature is morally culpable sin. It's a transgression against the law according to the Westminster Standards. Yeah, but, so, but then there's a pre-sin condition of sin. A pre-condition of sin. I, explain what you mean. So you mean it's not morally culpable or it is morally culpable? No, it, my corruption of nature is morally culpable. I could be sent to hell for it and would be were it not for the justification imputed righteousness of Christ. Right. That, but that corruption of nature is not the same thing as me going out and committing a sinful act. That is something that has to be addressed uh, when I get on my knees in church and confess the sin I committed on Tuesday. Now, hopefully I confessed it on Tuesday, but you mm -hmm. know, you then at the moment. But there are dis that's the distinction I was making in the video clip between sin as a condition— and a sin as an action. And I, and I grant, I'm right with you, that that action can be an internal volitional action where you're giving way to it in ways that you shouldn't. You're dallying with it in ways that you shouldn't. But there's also um, a pitch that the devil makes to your corruption of nature. He knows, he knows where you're coming from. He, know, he knows mm -hmm. the condition you're in. So he presents something, he, he pitches something to your corruption of nature, knowing that your corrupt, corrupt nature will say, hey, that looks good, she looks good, he looks good. Um, and what I'm saying is that that desire, when it springs forth, is springing forth out of a corrupt nature and would only do so if the nature were corrupt and it's truly and properly sin, but as an action that must be confessed, if this person rejected it immediately and said, in the name of Jesus, no, and turned away and walked away, I, and he comes to me and said, "How did I do? What? What? You know? Do I have to? Did I fall? Did I fall?" I'd say, "No, you did. You did well. Good. Keep doing that. Keep mm -hmm. keep it up." 
Um, so can I can I quote just put a quote here from Augustine because I think this gets at what my understanding of concupiscence, contrary to what Pastor Wilson is arguing. Um, he says, uh, however great the progress you make, you will have that covetousness in you. So until death is swallowed up in victory, say, forgive us our debts. Say this about past matters, about deeds, about words, about thoughts. What about future matters? Listen and say what comes next. Lead us not into temptation. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. What's the meaning of entering into temptation? Consenting to a bad desire. You've consented. You've entered. At least be quick to come out. Before you get to sinning, kill your consenting. Rejoice that you haven't done it. Repent of having thought of it. And see, that's where we're disagreeing is the repent of having thought of it. I agree that the fella who sees homosexual porn and rejects it within one second has done what he's supposed to do outwardly, but he has not done what he's supposed to do inwardly because he had a second where he desired gay porn. Yep. So he has to repent, not just of the action. I mean, he can rejoice, like Augustine said, re rejoice that you haven't done it, yeah, but I repent for having thought of it. This is why I think that we're talking past each other, because I agreed with that quote from Augustine that you just read. But I noticed that there were two, you used the verb consent a couple of times, consented to it, consented to it, and then he says thought of it. All right? Now, I don't, uh, you know, I don't believe that anybody should consent to it. This idea occurs to him, and he consents. Let's say, and let's say it's a mild form of consent. He says, Oh, uh, I'm going to click on this website, but I'm going to get a drink of water first. And then by the time he gets back, he says, no, I don't want to do that. He consented. That That is a sin that he has to confess, Okay, he, because he consented. But if the pitch is simply, hey, this used to be fun, what do you think? And he, so he thinks of it. He, okay, the, the prospect of going there is there, and he knows that he, when he gives way to this, he enjoys it for a time. He knows all of, all of that. He, if he thought of it without consenting to it, then that's what I'm talking about. If he consents to it, if he consents, if he toys with it, if he gives way to it at all, I'm with you. He says, rejoice that you haven't done it, that you haven't done it. You've called it good in your heart. I mean, there's a form of consenting if you call gay porn good in your heart. And see, this is, this is another issue, Doug, that you're sending people running to the mirror to determine, well, have I consented? Maybe I consented. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Like, what do I do? So they're constantly running to the mirror to try to self-justify instead of running to Christ because it is a lack of righteousness. Their heart has not been obedient to the law. That's the issue. The issue is not how long they had this inclination in their heart. The issue is the fact that it's not obedient to God's clear commands. Is, are you, do you agree with what I said earlier, that everybody is in the same boat? Everybody is in the same boat concerning, concerning our sinful nature, our flesh. Yes. Right. So everybody needs to be confessing all day, every day. Everybody needs to be confessing when they are aware of particular inclinations that spring up in their hearts that are contrary to God. Yes. I mean, when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us to confess our debts, forgive us our debts. Like, it, it, he included confession of sin 
in teaching us how to pray. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I agree with all of it. But there's a difference between me turning to Christ, trusting in the imputed righteousness of Christ that deals with all the nooks and crannies of my nature that I'm, I, don't know, I don't even know about. And the, the perfection of Christ is imputed to me, me turning to Christ to thank him for that, because I would be, if God were to mark iniquities, who could stand? All right, so we're, we're there. I'm simply talking about the psychological transaction that we are aware of. You know, when, when we enter into a state of temptation and we know we're being tempted, we, hey, look at this. This is the thing I'm trying to stop doing. This is the thing I'm, I'm trying to fight. I am saying that that pull can happen, that, that you can know you're in temptation and be there momentarily for a second and still not sin. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. And but this is just uh, incidentally, this is miles and miles away from any kind of uh, side B revoice um, stuff. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about luxuriating in or identifying, or in identifying or with, mm-hmm. or having sure. your identity be found in in these things, mm-hmm. or saying that your gayness is somehow contributing to the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about any of that. Right. I'm, I'm. I'm simply saying that a homosexual, as far as the transactions of sin are concerned is in the same boat as a lustful heterosexual man, mm-hmm. right? He, he has to do the same thing. He has to say no right away. The, the same thing is, in other words, fighting temptation. Correct. Uh, Jared, Jared, let me uh, uh, ask um, uh, this question. I think I've already asked it earlier, but I want to ask it this way. Um, sure. Can, can you feel temptation and not be in sin? Uh, what I'm trying to get at there, it seems to me that the scripture presents that there is a possibility of being tempted um, and and not being in sin. And so, could you could you you know, man, I feel the temptation, and you don't give into it, and you aren't in sin. When you say feel, do you mean feel? Yeah, I'm, I'm from Texas. You can, I say oil, and I say feel. <laughs> I have a hard time with my feelings, anyways. <laughs> Uh, so, like, there's mon- mindful sin, mindful sin. Um, I believe it is it Second Corinthians where you're talking about where you can pass through temptation. It's very clear in that passage that he's talking about um, mindful sinful action. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what I I mean. I would be feeling it because it'd be mindful. I'd be aware of it. Right. You're asking, but you're asking the other way. It, uh, all actual sin you do feel. But is it possible to feel the allure, mm-hmm. to, to feel the tug, correct, and not sin? Correct. No, it's but the the tug in your heart is the beginning of the lust of the flesh, or as the Westminster Standard says, it's a motion of original sin. Then I guess the, what, what I'm trying to ask then 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 what is temptation? If 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 you can if there's the space called temptation that is not sin, then what is happening there? in that space of what we call temptation but not sin? Well, if you are offered something good through, through an evil means, then you are experiencing a temptation that is not inherently sin unless you submit to the evil means. No, except so the, you wanna, what the, the evil means is the whole context of it. Well, if you want to provide for your family, so you have a desire to provide for your family, and someone comes to you and offers you, you know, come sell these drugs for me, 
and you reject that 100%, even though you want to provide for your family, you have not sinned. You have, you have experienced a temptation, and you have not sinned. But if you have an internal pull where your heart literally wants something, and if God didn't forbid it, you would do it. Uh-huh. That is the beginning of the lust of the flesh. So what, what do you make of the illustration I used earlier in the discussion where a man is resisting a temptation to lust after a woman, but circumstances down the road, five years down the road, could permit him to marry that woman lawfully? Well, let, let me ask this question. What if that woman was your adult daughter? Right. And what if you had a pull towards her attraction? And so th- that's the thing. Like The reason why it's not lawful is because she's not your wife. Um, well, and if you no, have a you, you, lustful no, pull— you've just, given, you've just given two layers. There's the prohibition of incest, and then there's the prohibition of someone not your wife. Because there would never be a circumstance where it'd be lawful to marry your daughter. That's just like the homosexual illustration. There's never a circumstance where that would be okay. Okay. What I'm saying but, is, but is, is that this is more than biology. This is more than just nat- natural, natural law working itself out whenever a married man notices an attractive woman. No, what I'm saying— uh, and, and, Go ahead. What I'm saying is— that there are circumstances where a man might be tempted to lust after, after a woman, not his wife, where if he were to give way to that temptation would be sinful, 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 right? But he could be with that woman five years down the road in, in an entirely lawful way. So b- back in 2017, he wanted to kiss her, and it was adulterous. And then he kisses her five years later, and the whole church claps. Yeah, I understand that, but that's different circumstances versus his wife and not his wife. Like, it was sin in the past, in 2017, but it's not sin now because it's according to God's Word. Right. So the circumstance made it, so the, the tug at the time when he was married, I see. Uh, when the tug yeah. at the time, that was sinful because of the context. Well, Jesus was tempted, as it says in Hebrews, in all points like as we are, because of the context. And the, and it's, the text makes a point of saying that he was hungry, he fasted for 40 days, he was hungry, and the devil comes to him and says, hey, uh, turn these stones to bread. There was something in Jesus. This was not just temptation coming from the outside. There was something in Jesus, and it was not corrupt nature because it's not a sin to be hungry. But there was a tug from within. So when Jesus was tempted, it was more comparable to the when Adam was tempted. Adam was tempted by circumstances that conspired from outside, but Eve saw that the, the fruit was delightful to look on, good for food, and was going to make them wise, or as promised, if the serpent had not been lying. And so... so do you- Go ahead. Do you, oh, Rob, do you Rob, think... I'm going to let you have kind of the last... we got about three minutes here, four minutes, so I'll oh. let you have this last question, and then I want to give you the ending comments here, so just FYI. Did you say Rob? I'm sorry. Why did I say Rob? Jared. Excuse okay. me, sir. <laughs> I was, oh, like, my I was goodness. like, wait, wait, there's somebody else. I don't know else. how the words Rob popped in yeah. my mind. We haven't, sorry, we, Jared. we haven't let that other guy talk. Yeah, poor, <laughs> let's let Rob finish. Jared, will you let him talk? Oh, boy. So, sorry, Jared. Uh, Pastor... Pastor Wilson, do you believe that Jesus desired um, to do what the devil 
um, tempted him to do? I believe that Jesus was hungry, and the idea had a biological appeal. I think the stones looked like bread, and Jesus was hungry, and the devil suggested it, and there was it was a temptation that he felt. And, and see, I don't, I don't see that in the text at all. Jesus but, immediately responds with scripture, like it's machine gun fire from Christ. There is no contemplation whatsoever. But that's that's what I'm talking about is machine gun fire. I'm talking about saying no right away. There's not an, there's not a second of contemplation. There's well, not. No, I'm not saying that. I'm I'm not saying there's a second of contemplation where Jesus went back and forth saying maybe this is a good idea, maybe not. What I'm saying is that he's a high priest who's sympathetic with us. He that that and that sympathetic um, aspect of his high priestly work means that he knows something of what it feels like to be tugged. He knows he knows something. He wouldn't be a sympathetic high priest otherwise. But he did. He, it. he doesn't. He doesn't have to feel the tug in order to be a sympathetic high priest. But he it, has to be truly human and truly tempted. But you, what you're you know, what you're doing is you're making his uh, the the pitch that the devil gives him to make these stones into bread as attractive as here here's a bowl of cockroaches. Why don't you eat them? It, it's not it's not a temptation. But if someone comes up and says here's the here's your cockroaches, I'm not tempted. F- even for a little bit, it's not a temptation. No, Tem- I'm. I'm saying you, you've got to understand that a cockroach is the one who's offering the food to Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the difference. It's it's you're you're comparing apples and oranges because the it's a cockroach who walks up and takes his father's good gifts, and that Jesus immediately responds with machine gun fire. There is no there's no comparison between Jesus and the guy who who sees a woman who's not his wife and has a second of inappropriate thought. There's not, that's not comparable. So what's the basis of his sympathy? The basis of his sympathy is his true humanity. The, the whole point is him interceding for us as our high priest, meaning we're not our own high priest. We need him. Now, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses in our humanity. True humanity. No, that's what the emphasis is, true humanity. Well, but the true humanity that he's sympathizing with is this train wreck of a corrupt nature. He's not sympathizing with Adam before Adam fell. He's sympathizing with us, and we're a hot mess. No, brother, I think you totally misunderstand that. He is true humanity is what we needed. You Just by what you just said, that sounds like you're implying that it had to be some sort of fallen flesh or fallen, as long as he's truly human. And that's the emphasis. The whole point of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than us. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Amen. I mean, the, I mean, he's he's our high priest. And what qualifies him to be our high priest is his true humanity, him being truly tempted. But he did not feel the desire toward anything that is contrary to God or anything from the devil, at least based on the text. Okay. Even... He, Go ahead, brother. Despite your disagreement, I think we agree. (laughs) (laughs) This was a really, really helpful conversation to me to listen and to Jared and Pastor Doug. Thank you for going back and forth, and I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Go fight, laugh, and feast. I'm going to end it that way. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. Hey, thanks for your time, Jared. Appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Anytime. Anytime, guys. Yes, sir. We'll be in touch. 
It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger.